Uh, if you'll join me, uh, we're going to be reading in James uh, chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brotherly, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away from his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived by do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of, turn, of turning. Of his own will he brought forth us by the... Excuse me. Of his own will he brought forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for wrath of man does not produce righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not, forget, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the words that you have for us. Uh, bless Jackie and give him, give him the words that we may hear and that we may understand. Uh, we thank you for everything that you give to us. Uh, please bless this service. Uh, we say these in your precious name. Amen. So this is like um, week six in chapter one. Is that about right? I would say I promise to do the rest of them faster, but I'd be lying. And they tell me that's bad to do in church. 
So we want to, the reason we've gone like this, and the reason we've gone kind of slow through it is, so often we go, especially with passages we're familiar with, we go so fast, we're pretty sure we already know what it's talking about. So you, you stop learning, you stop hearing. Your ears are plugged up and they need to be cleaned out. So just by way of review, reminding us where we've come from, it begins with this idea. There's purpose in your trials. And as you get to the end of chapter 1, he's beginning to develop that concept of where is the purpose found in our trials. So that was helpful for me, because it's good for me to know that my suffering is not just aimless. It just, it's not just out there in the world somewhere. In fact, the scripture tells us that God collects and keeps every tear we cry. Every pain we've ever felt, God is is sitting at the edge of his seat, prepped and ready, because in Revelation chapter 21, Jesus is going to say one day to you and me, watch, I'm going to make it all new. That's the day all pain gets erased. From now till then, God wants us to realize there's a purpose in our pain, And so he gives us these highlights. What do we do about it? What do we do about the difficulties of life, the struggles that we have? Well, the first thing he told us in the beginning was to be led out with joy. It says, count it all joy. What's it mean? Be led out with joy. The joy is how we begin our day. And we talk about the ideas. We work our way through all these concepts. They're not things I churn up inside of me. I can't just go, joy just comes popping out. You know, if I... If I could just find the right muscle to flex. The Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that fullness of joy is found in the presence of God. So if we are connected, if we're in the presence of God, if we are connected with Him, relationally we're connected to God, then joy is a byproduct of that. Joy is a, So we need to be led out with joy. That means i got to be connected to Him. And what we're going to find is over and over and over again, the point of James chapter 1 is Jesus is what we need. Jesus is what we need. I need joy. Jesus is what you need. Jesus is the bringer of joy. He also told us, <coughs> get wisdom. And we talked about Proverbs chapter 8, which tells us wisdom is a person. It's one of the persons of the Trinity, or specifically, it's Jesus Christ. Colossians, Paul writes this, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Him. It's all in Jesus. So where am I going to gain wisdom? The same way I'm going to gain joy. I'm not going to work it up. I can study all day long. Some of the dumbest people I met are smart. (laughs) Nobody ever had that experience before? (laughs) I've met guys that have been educated beyond their ability to understand. But the reality is wisdom, the wisdom that I need, the knowledge that I need is in Christ. It's in Him. Everything I need. The joy that I need, where is it at? In Christ, to face the day, to face the struggles, what do I need? Jesus. To face the day, be wise in my decisions, what do I need? Jesus. You get the theme? Because the theme's throughout the whole chapter. He goes on next to talk about our earthly treasure. What's he tell us about our earthly treasure? If you don't have any, one day you're going to be happy because you will. If you do have some, one day you're going to be sad because you don't. What's the point? Your treasure is temporary, whatever it is. You can live this whole life out with all the treasure you need. But if you don't have the treasure of Jesus Christ, it's not going to amount to a hill of beans. It's all the treasure in this world. Tear down your barns, build bigger barns. And then what happens? If you don't have a relationship with Christ, what was it for? Nothing, right? So to recognize our, our wealth is not good or bad. It's not evil or, or, or good. It's just a tool like any tool can be utilized to, to bring honor and blessing to God. Or you cannot have any, and and it can be a struggle for you for the love of money. Having money is not the is not the sin, is not the struggle, is not the is not the depravity in our heart. It's the desire for riches. It's a desire, and just take out riches, just remove money for a minute, and put temporary. The desire for the temporary over the eternal. The desire for the temporary over the eternal. The eternal is Jesus lasts forever. He don't run out. You don't run out of Jesus. You don't run out of grace. You don't run out of love. You don't run out of God's ability to move and work in your life. Jesus is a far greater treasure than any earthly treasure. 
He's the greatest treasure. So what's he telling us? We need to be led out with joy. We need which is found with Christ. We need to have wisdom which is found with Christ. We need to understand the reality of, of wealth and understand that the greatest wealth in all of the world is Jesus Christ. Then we need to understand this. Our temptation, you're in mind, our temptation doesn't come from God. The Bible says God doesn't tempt anybody. Where's your temptation come from? Your heart, your cotton-picking heart, my heart. The, the, the wicked is already in there, guys. It ain't out there somewhere. The wicked is already in me. It, just, it cracks me up, the people, the, the self-righteous mindset and in different aspects of our world today that are acting so despicable, so despicably, and, and at the same time talking about how self-righteous they are in their actions. It cracks me up. Because the evil that you're doing is already in your heart, man. It was already there. All you needed was the perfect storm to bring it out, right? Just the right, the right situation. And that comes bubbling out. Why does God want us to know that? Because God's not doing something to you. He's not getting you. But in that temptation, what does God provide? A way out. Anybody want to guess what that is? What's it been so far? Jesus, right? Jesus is the light. Jesus is our wisdom. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the way out of temptation. Jesus is the way we want to hold on to that treasure, that forever treasure. And last week he talked about this idea. Don't be deceived. The worst kind of deception is a deception that happens to ourselves. Self-deception is the worst of all. So the scripture challenges us. Judge yourselves and you won't be judged. Everybody wants to spew the line, judge not that you not be judged. Well, that's a different concept altogether. What the Bible tells you to do is judge yourself. You better look in your own heart and decide, is this real? Am I real? Do I really have something with Christ? Do I really have this relationship with God? That's the most important question you can ask yourself. Because all the other ducks may be in a row, but that's the one that matters. So the scripture says, don't be deceived. Don't allow this deception to come upon you. And then specifically, he says, he wants you to know this specifically, that God has no darkness in him at all. Not a little shadow. No shadow of change. Nothing. God is good. Every good thing in our life came from who? God. Every good thing in my life came from God. Don't be a Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, who's, who, who tries to tell this lie to himself. I never, ne- I never needed God at all. I built this kingdom. You remember how God showed him? God's like, no, you didn't. Look, you don't have to have a relationship with God. You don't have to even believe in God. You can be the atheist of all atheists, but the good things in your life came from God. That's what the Bible declares. He says, he causes his reign to fall on the evil and the good. That the good gifts in our life come from our Father in heaven. It comes down from the Lord, with whom there's no shadow of change. God's desire is to provide good things for his people. So, again, in light of our testing trial, the hardness of our day, before we pop off and say, you know, I'm just mad at God. God never does nothing for me. Anybody said it? If you ain't, I have. We, get, we have our little pity parties where we just love to talk about how hard we have it and we lose sight of the, our blessings. Everybody does it. Everybody does it because every good thing in my life came from who? It didn't come from me. I didn't work it up. The joy didn't come from me. Wealth didn't come from me. The stuff in my life didn't come from me. The Lord pours out every good and perfect gift into our life. So what does he say then? In light of that, don't be so quick to talk, right? It's like do a little bit of this and a lot of this. And that's going to flow right into where we are this morning as we close out chapter 1. Because we want to be quick to listen. Are you listening to what God's saying? Now it's interesting because this concept of listening includes the idea of obeying. We're going to talk about being a listener who doesn't do anything with what he hears. As we look at what the scripture has for us this morning, here's what the scripture lays out for us in verse 
22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we want to be a doer of the word. Now, where does this idea come from? Well, Jesus talked about it. You remember? Jesus, right after the Sermon on the Mount, he tells a story that they still tell in Sunday schools today. You guys remember the story? Let's see if it comes to your mind. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Sound familiar? And what happened? The next part. Life happened. What happens in life? What's it say? The rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew and beat on the house, but it didn't fall. Why? Because its foundation was the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the man who built his house on the sand. What happened to him? Same thing. Life. So what's it say? The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. The section of James is telling us we want to be able to move through the trials of life, then we need to be let out with joy, which is in Christ. We need to have wisdom, which is in Christ. We need to recognize the rightful place of wealth and what our greatest treasure is. We need to make sure that we're not deceived. We need to make sure that we're listening, that we're listening to what God's saying through the trial, and that what we hear, we do. Otherwise, what's the point of it? And that's what James has for us. In Luke 8, 21, he answered and said, Jesus speaking, My mother, my brothers are those who hear the word of God. What's the next phrase? And do it. A hearer, the word for hearer is, a, is a, an, an auditor. You guys know what an auditor is? Like if you, have you ever audited a class? It's the same word. When you audit a class, you don't have to take the test, Right? So you're just there to listen and, you know, that's about how much you care about what's going on in the class. I don't got to take tests. I don't, gotta, I don't have any responsibility for this. I'm just here. I can come if I want or not come if I don't. It's not a big deal. That's the word. The Bible says don't be that kind of hearer. Don't be that kind of a person. But be a doer of the word. Why? Because when we go through testing, it's not enough just to have heard the word, to listen to the word. We have to apply it. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? Are you doing the word? It's a command. Do the word. It's a command. Look, we've got to be doers. We want to, we want to be moving forward. What is the change that it's asking us for? It's assuming that we're not doers. The phrase. So when he says in, in verse 22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, it's assuming that we know that we're not doers and we can become doers. We can become. It's a, a change of state. We're becoming what it is that God is asking us to become. We're in a new state of being. It's the same way when we talk about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh. Entered into a new state of being. What's he saying for us? We can become doers. Not just hearers. Not people for whom the word of God doesn't apply. Doesn't, doesn't make a difference in our lives. <clears throat> and it's a call to continuous action. It means continually be doers. It's no day off. If I want to be skinny, I have to have enter into a state of change. So I, I tell people all the time, I don't care. I don't want to be skinny. Uh, that, it doesn't appeal to me. You can say, I want to be able to do all this running and biking and triathlons and all that stuff. And I can say, I just want to bowl a rocky road. And I'm not even going to say one state is better than the other state. They're just two different states, right? So listen, but if I want that, if I want the, to be in shape, if I want that, then it requires a change of state that is continuous. Okay, all you people who play the crazy game of I'm, gonna, I'm on a diet this week, but next week I'm not, that's just dumb. <laughs> you don't really want it. If you want it, what does it require? State of change. I have to become, I've got to change my life. Change what I eat, change what I do, change how I do it. That's how change happens. You want change in your life? 
That's how it occurs. My, my wife is all about it. She's kayaking. She's bike riding. She's skiing. She went out and bought bikes. She bought two bikes. So we have a bike for sale if anybody wants one. <laughs> she, bought me, she bought me a bike. Like, if she buys me one, I will ride it. Uh, like, if you build it, they will come. I won't. <laughs> hey, Jackie, I really want to get together. Let's go work out. No. No, my heart's only going to beat so many times. If I start working out now, I'm going to speed up the process. <laughs> so, but, but here's what has, has happened. Kathy has made a change. She made a change. And, she's, and that's just a part of her every day now. Her every day. She wants to go ride, be active, do the things that, that she wants to do. And praise God, I'm happy for her to, to be able to do those things. If we want to be a doer of the word, that's the same change. It's not like, a, oh, I, I, I came and listened to Jackie on Sunday. That's not, the, that's not the gig. It's a life. Or you don't really got it. It's a life. It's not a one day of the week deal. It's an every day of the week kind of deal. And that's the point that he's getting to. That's the point. It's a continuous action. A continuous action that he wants us to have. And what does it do? What is this being a doer do? There's two words for a doer, and, and I'm not going to bore you with the words, but I want you to understand the concept. One is talking about the process. Like writing. That's a form of doing, right? Writing. The result of writing is the poem. Both of those words are used, by the way, in the Bible as a doer, doing, and then we are his poem, workmanship. We're what he's doing. We're what God's doing in the universe. He's, he's making us. It's a result of the doing. And we want to understand that this is the point. There needs to be a result in our life from the truth of God's word moving and working in it. Because we don't want to just be someone who audits the word of God. Who just listens. Who just listens. You know, there's a real danger today in, in our listening that we become idolaters what do you mean? Well, you know, I can only hear the Bible if it's great glory. Or I really only get it if it comes from the Puritans of the 16th century. Or I really can only understand it through this commentary or that commentary or this other thing or that other thing. And all of a sudden, it's not the Word anymore. It's not the pure Word. What is it? It's someone's opinion of the Word. Now, we want to give due diligence to understand what the Word of God says, and that's an important process, and there's ways that we do that. But it's the Word of God that changes people, not the illustration or story that the preacher tells. It's the Word of God that has the power in it. So we want to be hearers who are moved to wanting to do. We want to do it. Now, here's the thing. He's, he's warning us in this section. He says, but don't, so don't be deceived, but be hearers of the Word, uh, but but not be hearers only, but doers of the word, deceiving yourselves. What's this this word for deception? What's he talking about? What kind of deception is it? Well, it's a deception that means not reasoning correctly. So it never gets into my life and starts to order, put my life in order. Is your life in order based on the word of God? Is your life in order based on your desire? Your plans, your pursuits. Well, I'm not saying that those things are all evil. They're not. But is the Word of God in your life? Does, it, does, does the Word of God matter on Monday? Does what the Bible says about relationships speak to how your relationships are conducted in your life? Or does it make a difference? Because listen, if what the Bible says doesn't matter in how we relate to people, how we relate to our friends, how we relate to the people that we care about in life, if it doesn't affect those areas of our life, then that's by definition what it is to be a hearer only. You heard what it said. But you're not a doer. The deception is not reasoning correctly. We see a perfect example of it in the book of Obadiah. In the book of Obadiah, chapter uh, or verse 3, just one chapter, it says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, 
who say in your heart, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. What is the reason? They said, oh man, just like Nebuchadnezzar, it is a kingdom I built. I'm up here, God can't do nothing. That's just nothing. It's just about... It's just about willpower. If everybody just had enough willpower, then everybody would be okay. But people, some people just don't have it. Some people don't have that knack, that special knack. I'm going to write a book and sell it for a million pieces of knack so that I can have more stuff in my little barn. Well, the reality is, you're not reasoning correctly. If you don't have the Lord, you don't have nothing. And if it's not affecting, if it's not actually in the nuts and bolts of living then we're deceiving ourselves. We're not, we're not looking. We're not reasoning correctly. So look at the illustration that he builds on. Next couple of verses. Here's the, he wants to illustrate the idea. What do I mean? What do I mean? Let me paint a picture. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the first part of the illustration, what's the main point? There's an act of observation happening, right? You're looking at the mirror. Everybody can relate to this, right? Is there somebody here who has never looked in a mirror? Okay. So we have all looked in the mirror. By the way, you know how guys look in the mirror? You know that a guy never sees what he looks like? Yeah. I just see what I was. Oh, yeah. I look at the mirror and I say, I could, I could be that again if I really wanted to. But I don't. I want another bowl of Rocky Road. So, women don't look at a mirror like that. It's a little bit different. The illustration here that God's getting to, he says, look, it's just like this. It's like looking in a mirror, observing. You see something. You see something as you look in the mirror. What is it that you're looking at? What is it that you see? Do you understand what you see? Now, bring it into the Bible. You remember the rich young ruler? Everybody remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What was it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich young ruler said, I've done all these things from my youth. Well, that's a very loving person then, right? Right? If he's loved his neighbor and he loves God with all his heart, then he's a loving person. And Jesus puts his loving person to the test in the next phrase. What yet do I lack? The rich young ruler said. Jesus said, take all your stuff, sell it, give it to the poor, come follow me. Now what did he really love? See, Jesus is so awesome because he tells him. He picks up a mirror and he shows it to him. Look. You don't love God with all your heart. You don't love your neighbor like yourself. You love your stuff. That's what he shows him in the mirror. What did the rich young ruler do? He just left. He walked away and forgot what kind of man he was. The Bible saying, don't be deceived when you come to the mirror of the Word of God and the Word of God declares something to you and it says to your heart, this is me, this is where I'm at, this is what I've done. Then allow the Word of God to work change. Don't be the man who just turns away and forgets what he sees. This is the illustration. Do you remember what you see? The Scripture says, what is he seeing? He's he's beholding or observing his natural face in the mirror. It's an interesting word in in the Greek. It means he's, he's beholding his birth or his generations. So that... If, whether it means he's, he's considering his, his physical attributes or <clears throat> he's looking at his spiritual life or a combination of both. But the key is he's looking, seeing truth in the mirror, right? Does a mirror lie? Well, only if it's in a carnival, right? If we go to the carnival, some of them carnival mirrors make us look crazy, right? But the reality is normal mirror is just reflecting what's in front of it. Yes? So the truth is coming back. The truth is coming back at us when we look in a mirror. So we see this truth being reflected. When we look at it, I think one of the challenges for us is to recognize when we look at the mirror whether or not, what is it that we value in life? Is it the temporal or the eternal? That's, that's the question. Is it the temporal or the eternal? 
man, I, I struggle with it. And if we're honest, I, I think we all do. We struggle with the idea of the, I like good things. Don't you like good things? I like living in the United States of America. I don't want to live in Ethiopia or North Korea or some place where we can't have the freedoms and enjoy the life that we have here. I, I like it here. But remember when we studied the 23rd Psalm and I said the most dangerous place in the 23rd Psalm is not the valley of the shadow of death. Where is it? The grassy hill and the cool water. Because we can start to love the grassy hill and the cool water and we start to lose sight of the eternal. Now I'm falling in love with the temporal. The grass don't stay, does it? And the, the, the things that we, that we love, they, they're, they're fading away. But the, the eternal is Christ. The eternal is Jesus. So all God is asking me is that I have my priorities in order in my life. He's not saying, I don't want you to ever enjoy the cool water. He's the one who brought me to the cool water. He's not saying, I don't want you to enjoy the green grass. He's the one who brought me to the green grass. He just says, I want right priorities. I'm the one who brings it. I'm the one who gives it. Every good gift comes from above. And so if I keep that, if I keep my attitude straight, you guys get where I'm coming from? If my attitude's right where I can glorify God and say, thank you, Jesus, that you provided this for me to enjoy. It's just a thing. You're the giver. It's just stuff. I want to be able to focus on, on the eternal on that. So do we, when we come to the Bible, do we see ourselves in it? When you read the Bible, do you read the Bible and think, oh, that's me? Well, let's find out. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. It'll be very familiar to you. Scripture says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And then it has this phrase, And who can understand it? Which implies you don't even know it. So the Bible says your heart is deceitful, sick, and you don't know it. And pretty much the whole world will tell you what you got to do is know yourself first. But the Bible says you can't. The Bible says you can't know yourself. You can't really know yourself apart from whom? It's the same answer we've been looking at all through the book of James. It says in verse 10, I, the Lord, search your heart. Who knows you? Oh, man, God knows you? Oh, you're kidding me. Yeah, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. He says, man, I know you. I know what's in your heart. <clears throat> when they came to Jesus to trip him up, what did he do all the time? He just spoke what was in their heart. Because he knows what's in there. So if you want to know who you are, where do you find that out? In Christ. You want to have joy, where do you find that? In Christ. You want wisdom, where do you find that? In Christ. You want true treasure, where do you find that? In Christ. Is he, are we starting to track along with James? What James is talking about, what James is laying out for us. Man, this is, this is what we want. This is what we want to understand. We want to be looking at the mirror. Now, what's the mirror? It's the perfect law of liberty. So what's he talking about? When he says the perfect law of freedom. What's the perfect law of freedom? We don't usually look at it like this. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says this, <clears throat> The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerner and, uh, uh, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of freedom, is the Word of God. The Word of God is that perfect law of freedom. Now that seems weird, don't it? Law and freedom used together. I thought law is the opposite of freedom. Is that what it is? You ever think of it like that? Law is the opposite of freedom? That's because we are dumb creatures. Yep, I have a dumb creature. He's not really that dumb. His name's Brody. He has experienced levels of freedom... No other creature, furry creature in my life has ever had. Do you know why? Because he obeys. See, in obedience, there's incredible freedom. 
I had other little brown furry creatures that were not obedient. They did not have freedom. They lived connected to a chain. What do we call that? Bondage. What's the Bible say? We are in bondage. We're slaves to sin unless we come to Christ, follow his word, become obedient to God. And what happens? You have been set free. Freedom is a doer of the word. There's freedom in being a doer. There's freedom in allowing the word of God to orchestrate, guide, direct, put your life to order. Anybody's life ever feel out of order? Crazy? We're about to start VBS tomorrow, and there's going to be a fair amount of out of order. (laughs) Just because it's VBS. But in the midst of all of that out of order, you know that that God is moving and working, and you can be let out with joy, have the wisdom you need for all the things that you're going to be doing, all the little struggles of that week can all be put together because the answer is Jesus Christ. We have him. We have all the pieces that we need, man. We have it all put together. (coughs) So what's our problem? The problem is not what we see in the mirror so much. What's the problem? It's the next verse, verse 24. He looks at himself and did what? Goes away. He looks and goes away. He looks and goes away. He observed himself, (coughs) saw what he was, and left. Rich young ruler. Everybody tracking? He saw it, but it didn't change him. He gets away from the word. He forgets what kind of a man he was. He just walks away. We can be hearers. We can hear all the things. I got a guy I have ministered to for eight years. Almost since the first day I got here. Almost in the... Certainly in the first couple of months when I got here, he got out of jail. And I think I have been ministering in his life for the last eight years. And that guy can quote more Bible verses than your average ordinary fella. He's heard them all. But I cannot keep him out of jail for two weeks. In eight years. In jail. In jail, in jail, in jail, in jail, out jail, in jail, out jail, in jail. If I get a phone call and it says Idaho Corrections on it, I know who's calling me. I know who's calling me. Now, he's a hearer of the word, right? What's the problem? He's not a doer. You guys know the difference between reality is 18 inches? I can have it all floating around in my head, but if it can't come 18 inches down where my heart is, where it really starts to affect my life, then I don't got nothing. I'm a dog returning to what? Yeah. Sound like a good dinner? No, man. No, that's, that can't be good. We don't want to be a man. We don't want to have the problem where the guy goes back and forgets what he's like. So what do we want? What do we need so that we can hear? It says in verse 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, what's the next phrase? And does what? Perseveres. Oh, you're, you mean it's going to take work? You guys, every time somebody says to me, <clears throat> you know, I was going to pray for patience, but I'm, I'm going to be praying double for your patience for you. We should all be praying for patience. Why? Because, man, do you need it? Yeah. So stop being afraid that it means that you're gonna, it's going to be hard. A lot of good things are hard. A lot of good things we want in our life, good, good things we want to see in our life, require hard work. It's crazy. I go outside and I meditate on my weeds. <laughs> meditate on them. I'm, a, I'm thinking about them. I'm trying to see if I can tap in <clears throat> to a little Superman juice and shoot red beams of light out and burn them right where they're at. So I look at those weeds with intense hatred. But how many of you know not a dang thing happens if I don't do something? They just, they get bigger. Yeah, they get bigger. They keep growing. Man, sometimes good things come because we, we are applying. We're, we're persevering. We've got to persevere. What's it say to persevere in? The Word of God. How many times? There was one time in my life, I was in Bible college. I'm going through the book of Romans. I made it all the way to chapter 5 in the book of Romans. And chapter 5 melted my brain. <clears throat> Romans melts my brain most of the time, but it's really melting my brain, and so I put down a Bible and stopped reading it. Well, 
congratulations, you just give the devil a victory. Well, life, it was a little hard. It was requiring a little more effort. So you're going to quit, and that is going to help how? What does the Bible tell us to do? Persevere. It says, persevere. I come to something I don't quite understand. A lot of times I discover the things I don't quite understand. Maybe, maybe I just need to put up on the shelf and say, I'll come back to that when God gives me a little more understanding. Keep going. I've been through the Bible I don't know how many times, and I have not yet found it to be void of things to teach me. There's books I've taught multiple times, and I come back to them, and they're still, well, what do you know? Something for me to learn there. We need to persevere in His Word. We come to the perfect law of liberty, what's it say? And perseveres, being no hearer that forgets. What's he saying? You're looking at yourself. You're seeing yourself in a word. One of the most important concepts you can glean is this reality. That Bible on your lap is a mirror, not a flashlight. You know what I mean? Let me tell you like this. It's not for your neighbors, for you. If you can't do nothing with your neighbor if it ain't doing it for you. The Bible's very clear. If your brother's got a speck in his eye, what do you got to do first? So where do we start? <clears throat> with ourselves? You're kidding me. So I look at, you know, my sin is so easy to see on somebody else. You know, I see somebody else doing the same things I do, and I go, my golly, what a dirty, rotten sinner. I can't believe he's doing, oh, oh, oh. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I'm looking at the mirror. I especially in my kids. I look at my kids and I watch what they're doing and we, me and Kathy will sit back and go, what in the world are they thinking? Can you believe that they're, oh, I don't. Uh. Yeah, and about 10 seconds into that, there comes a little phrase in my head. The apple don't fall far from a tree. I am the tree and they are the apples and they're right there next to me. <clears throat> And I, and, I, and I begin to realize, you know, I need the perfect law of freedom. God's word that wants to set me free. I need, to, I need to be, here's the key. I need to be in submission to it. I need to be in submission to him. And then I'll be set free. Are you in submission to him? Uh, look, don't make it overly complicated. Because there's simple things that... I, we should start with, right? You don't have to get into the complex. I'm not a, I don't have a doctorate of Hebrew and Greek. Well, good. They're playing English stuff in there that's pretty tough too, right? Why don't we just start there? Why don't we just start there? Do you know, are there, is there something in the Word of God that you know I'm not in submission to? God's Word is saying this, and I am not in submission to it. Then God says, through James, you see yourself in the mirror, and then you turn, turn around and walk away. And we're just like the rich young ruler. Lord, why is my life like this? Why is this? Why, 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 why? And God shines a mirror. Here's the problem. And then we look at it and we do what he did. Turn around and walk away. Troubled. Oh, man. I just can't find the answer. There's an answer. There's an answer. The answer is, man, we need to, we need to be... Men and women who aren't forgetful about who we are, but who come to look into the Word of God. Come, the word to look into is to stoop down. To, <clears throat> it's an it's a attitude of humility that comes bowing down before God, saying, I want to see what you have for me. And then I not only want to see it, I want it to change me. Here's what Jesus said, John 8, verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, listen, if you abide in my word, what did he say? If you abide in my word, that's in it, right? You're, you're in it. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? You don't get to the last part of the verse without the beginning part. Man, you abide in my word. You allow my word to be that thing which is working and moving in us. And then we see the promises that it says. What's the promise that he tells us at the end of verse 25? He will be blessed in his what? Doing. <clears throat> He'll be blessed. You'll be blessed 
It's a blessing. There's a blessing in it. The blessing doesn't mean everything comes out good. It just means that you're going to have a whole change of attitude through it all. You'll have a change of attitude through your trial, which gets us back to verse 1. My friends, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because your trial's producing something in your life. Oh, you mean it takes work? Yes, it takes work. That work is working out something good in your life. And every good thing comes from who? God. So God is moving and working in your life, bringing about the good things in your life. So he's saying, look, you'll be blessed. We have to come to the Lord, guys, and allow him. You want your heart to change. God changes hearts. You've got to change your mind. You've got to change how you think about the Word of God, how you think about what God's Word is telling us, what God's Word is directing us. <clears throat> because look where he goes. <clears throat> He's going to give us two more examples of a doer. Okay, The word religion is going to mess with your head. So erase religion, put doer. You guys tracking with me? Let's see if it works. If anyone thinks he is a doer and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's doing is worthless. You guys tracking with me? That word religion is just the guy putting into practice. The word religion is the idea of putting into practice the things you've read. What is that? Religion has all these weird connotations today, so just, just focus on the doing part. What is it? If I, if I want to be a doer, I want to be a doer, but I can't control my tongue. If I can't control my tongue, then I, I'm deceiving my own heart, and the things I do is worthless. You ever done things, good things, and knew that you were doing them and it's worthless in the doing? Oh, you guys probably aren't like me, but I, I can complain while I'm doing something. I get into something and I'm stupid. And it could be a good thing. <laughs> it could be a good thing, but all the good thing of whatever I'm doing just goes out the window because I can't do what? Bridle my tongue. I can't bridle my tongue. God's showing me a mirror. What's the mirror say? Bridle your tongue. Don't we get to chapter 3? We're talking about tongue for like years. Tongue, 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 tongue. Lots of tongue stuff. But when we look here, what's he want us to understand? Look, if you're doing but you can't bridle your tongue, the gums are flapping, bad attitude, whatever you want to look at, that, that doing is worthless. Now look at this, verse 27. What, what kind of doing is good? Doing that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. <clears throat> What's he saying? This is, what, this is the doing that we're looking for. What is it? What's the nature of it? Well, the motives are pure, undefiled. Pure motives, undefiled motives. What does that mean? That means you're doing for someone else. You're doing for someone else who can't do back. You ever seen an orphan give back? Other than the fact that he may love you or she may appreciate what you're doing, there's nothing. You could, you could provide for them the rest of your days and never get that back. It's not a quid pro quo. It's just given for the sake of giving. Given to the most destitute, the ones who have the least, to be able to help or be a part or to give back. So the nature of it, man, I want to be pure and undefiled before God and the Father <coughs> to visit to visit the outcast, to visit the orphan, to visit the widow. In their affliction. In it. Not after it. In it. In the midst of all the hard part. God says, perfect doing is this. Are you reaching out to others in need? Are you reaching out to, to the orphan, the poor? You, you guys know there's a million kids that need a family, right? Uh, are you reaching out to the widows, people, women who need help, who need connection, who need love? Perfect doing is this. What's the other part of it? And to keep oneself how? Unstained from the world. Which means perfect doing is when we're looking like Jesus. You know what Jesus did? You remember they come to him with all these kids? All these crazy kids coming up to Jesus and the disciples said, Why are you bugging the master? 
You remember what Jesus said? Suffer not the little children, let them come. For of such is the kingdom of God. Great opportunity to do that starting tomorrow, right? Loving kids. And you're never going to know some of them kids' stories. Yours, you'll know. But the others, you don't. We have an opportunity, man, just to, to pour in. We have an opportunity to care and love about people. A doer who does things and then can't stop complaining about it, that doing's no good. But the one who does for those who can't pay back, for those who can't do anything for you. And in those days, an orphan had no inheritance. There was never going to be anything he would ever have to give you. In those days, a widow had no inheritance. She had nothing with which to help. There was nothing. The point is, these guys are in the bottom end of the scale and they're in need of help. We were just over at Valley House yesterday delivering some food. We're still collecting food out there with uh, Sons of Thunder. And you know they don't have enough food to feed the people there. They're, they're a bunch of homeless people staying at, at the Valley House because they're nowhere else. They come through our doors, homeless folks, all the time looking for a place to stay. And you say, well, why are they homeless? But Because they do dumb stuff. Would that, that, that's a shock for you? Yeah, the Bible doesn't say only help the, the orphans and widows that aren't dumb. <laughs> Is that what it says? Only help the ones that, that, don't, that do it all right. No, what does it say? Does it, does it temper it like that? It says help the ones that can't do nothing back, can't return what's given. Help the orphan. Get involved in foster care. Get involved in adoption. Get involved in helping people who can't help you back. It's a little thing to bring a can of food, drop it in a box, but it makes all the difference in the world as somebody who don't got no meal, right? These are things that we can do, and we can do it, and if we do it not like the first one, grumbling, right? Flapping our gums, saying, this is so dumb. But if we can do it purely and undefiled, that's what God wants. Does that make sense? That's the attitude God wants through our trials. James 1, he's just getting started. It's going to get crazy, so you're going to want to keep a helmet and steel-toed shoes because we'll be stomping and bumping heads all the way through this book. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.